Hello and welcome to This Just Is. My name is Ian. Thank you for joining us. Hope that things are going well in your world. I'm riding the wave as best I can, and honestly, it's tough sometimes. Life can throw a lot at you, and I've been practicing more and more to try to let things formulate the way that they are supposed to, not let my eagerness to mold the things around me prevent me from molding myself. And it's hard to do this. I'm sure you can relate. My wife and I got some bad news this past week, and it sort of rocked us. We are parents to an amazing child and are looking to expand our family. And our path to having our first child was a difficult one. We struggled with infertility and had to utilize IVF, which is short for in vitro fertilization, for those of you that don't know. And we had to do this in order to realize our dream of being parents. It was an incredibly invasive, brutal process full of uncertainty, fear, and anxiety. But ultimately, we had the perfect outcome, a beautiful, healthy child. Having this child has been the greatest gift of our lives. There is nothing that I can compare it to. We are the fortunate ones. We had the fairy tale ending. Many people are still trudging through this difficult process, praying and hoping for a child. Some people have tried several times to no avail and are unable to have children, and my heart goes out to them. We were blessed with two viable embryos from this process, one of which became our daughter, and the other was cryogenically frozen to be thawed and transferred at a later date when we felt that we were ready for another child. Over the past several months, we have been preparing for the transfer of the embryo, which entails a lot of medication and various protocols for my wife specifically, injections, pills, serums on a daily basis, all on a very strict schedule that's complicated and very intensive. And my wife had to endure nausea, getting pricked, prodded, and tested, all for the hope that we would create the perfect biological scenario to transfer our second embryo. We followed the instructions to a T, implanted the embryo, then waited the customary 10 days, which is a nightmare in itself, as probably you can imagine, only to find out that the transfer had failed. And it's a loss. There is no other way to cut it for us. We're grieving from this loss in our own way. It's obviously very different than many scenarios for other parents who lose a pregnancy. But for us, it was pretty devastating. We thought, of course, this is going to work. It worked the first time. We didn't really entertain the idea of it not working. We talked about it, sure, but really in our heart of hearts, we were just sure it was going to work, and it didn't. Now we have to adjust course, adjust our lives and expectations, and I've gone through sort of the many stages of grief a few times this past week, and it's been pretty rough. Infertility is a growing problem around the globe. The quality of eggs and sperm is dropping at an alarming rate. It is a direct threat to our very existence, and it's not getting the attention it deserves. At least half of the young parents that I know have had to have some sort of fertility intervention. We need to not only have more conversations surrounding the issue, but also raise awareness about it. Those that are struggling with infertility, you are not alone on your journey. There are others that are here to support you. Please know this. Our guests on this episode are the wonderful Isaac and Abby Feeder. Isaac and Abby documented their incredible fertility journey in a 12-part podcast entitled Maculate Conception, which you can find on audible.com. If you're a couple or individual struggling with infertility, it's an incredible listen. If you're someone who has never struggled with infertility, it's also an incredible listen. It's highly educational, it's heartbreaking, scary, unfiltered, and raw. Isaac and Abby allow you into their struggle in a way that's so uncommon. Their openness and willingness to allow other people into the very intimate parts of this journey is really remarkable. They are courageous. They are warriors. They came out the other side of this journey with the ultimate prize, two beautiful children. 
but every step of the way was an extreme struggle till the very end. I wanted to bring Abby and Isaac on to talk a bit about their experience, but mostly just to hold space for an open and honest discussion about infertility and IVF generally. This was a deeply meaningful conversation, and I hope it's enlightening for you. So here they are, the lovely Abby and Isaac Feeder. Abby and Isaac, how are you guys? How's everything? How's your pandemic been? You know, it hasn't been horrible, other than the pandemic part. Other like, than the mass devastation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we've right. made the best of a bad situation, I think. I think we're we're ready to crawl through the other side. Like I'm glad I'm glad it's here, but um but I do think we made as best of it as we could. What about you? Yeah, well, how is your pandemic? What is you how do you describe your pandemic? Challenging. You know, it's challenging with young kids that can't go anywhere. So we moved halfway through the pandemic and we we moved to a, a house that had more space and so it was a little easier for us to manage it. And we also moved out to Ventura which had less cases. So it was just a little bit easier for us to go to the park and not have to worry about uh, as many regulations. And, and we could like, you know, wear masks and go to the park and it wasn't, you know, verboten. So yeah. it helped us, you know, helped us do that. But Immaculate Conception, your podcast that you guys released a while back, I I have my my own fertility journey that I wanted to share with you guys. You You guys are like the OG people that have been through the ringer as far as an IVF process. And me and my wife have experienced uh, it as well, uh, you know, not as, uh, as, as rough as your situation and few are, I mean, there are some that are really, really difficult. And you mentioned that in the podcast that there are some people that just go and go and go and they don't have success. And I just want to preface everything that we say tonight, that there's a happy ending for both of us. I have a daughter, you have two beautiful children, a boy and a girl. And so the ending is happy, but for a lot of people who struggle with fertility, it's not a happy ending. And there are a lot of people who don't have the means or ability to even work with a fertility specialist to try to even attempt to have success. So for those reasons, um, you know, I just want to acknowledge that and make sure that, you know, we, we give a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, acknowledgement to that. So our, our journey started because we, we decided after we got married, we wanted to have children and we tried for about a year and nothing was happening. And we were in our mid thirties and kind of thought, okay, well, we're not 25, so we can't just keep going for five years and hope that something happens. We kind of have to see what's going on. And we went to a fertility clinic and they take your sort of health history and they uh, take your blood and they test all sorts of other things. And it turned out that my wife was totally fine and I had I was the one that had the issue. And my issue was that my morphology was very, very poor. And so that led to way more tests. And those tests revealed nothing other than you're completely normal, but for some reason your morphology is poor. And that makes it very difficult for your sperm to find the egg. They're not shaped properly. They don't swim properly. Some of them don't don't even aren't, aren't alive. Um or they just don't move, even though they are alive, you know, they, not to get too uh, detailed into it, but the morphology for whatever reason was down. And so they could test all of my hormones, my testosterone levels, everything. And there was no issues there, but they could not explain as to why I had this issue. And that was one of the frustrating parts is they kind of know everything until they don't. And I think that you guys express that in, in your podcast as well, is that they kind of know everything. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, we'll see what nature has to say about it. And it's so frustrating. Sure. 
And so we decided that we were going to do a retrieval and a, and a cycle. And we were very fortunate in my old job that we had actual mm. coverage. We could, we could do it, um, which was very rare. Uh, we did a, um, a run of, of, uh, of a harvesting. And then we also, for, you know, fertilized embryos. And then we were going to do an implantation. Since I had poor morphology, the doctor said the best route for you to go would be to extract the sperm directly from the testicle, which as a guy, that's not something you want to hear. I know women have it way rougher in this, uh, in this, in this deal, but that was one thing where I was like, tremendously, no, no man wants to, no woman wants to do it. And no man wants to do that either. Yeah. So I initially, they were like, okay, well, it's a local procedure. You'll be up. And I was like, no, I'm not going to be up. <laughs> so they, they, they do it. They do it on the same day. So wow. they do, they do the retrieval and then they harvest, you know, it's the same as, as producing essentially it on the same day so that they can fertilize the eggs. And then they, I think they freeze them after, and then they kind of test them or, you know, they let them do their thing and then test them and then freeze them. And so I think we harvested, uh, you know, over 20 eggs and then we're only two were viable. One of them was our daughter and another one was a bee embryo that was, um, that was a boy. During the interim of that testing, the surgery that I had turned into a massive uh, infection and I had all sorts of issues. I had pain in my abdomen. I had swelling. I don't want to get, we're not getting into it, but just know that it was. You don't need to get into it, but in our life, there's no such thing as TMI, like too much info. Like we can talk about as much or as little as you want to. You're amazing for sharing all of this, no matter what. Yeah. So just know that I have a grapefruit tree in my backyard and it's a reminder. That's all I'll say. Um, uh, Yeah. So that cleared itself up, but then we were so, we were so fortunate to have these two viable embryos and we had a little decision to make. We were sort of like, well, do we want a boy or do we want a girl? The girl embryo is is a superior embryo, but do we want to try to have the more superior one first? And but if that doesn't work, then we have a lesser one. So we yeah. kind of had to do the math that you guys had to do. You guys had to do it more than we did, but we had to do that first. And we decided, let's just try to, the doctor said, you know, why don't we just increase our chances and put the best embryo in there? And that's what we did. And it worked the first time Brooke was pregnant. My wife was pregnant in 10 days and we were like, great, this is easy. This thing, this is how it goes. Pregnancy was, was normal for the most part. The birth was a little rough. Um, She had, uh, you know, some complications, but nothing like you had Abby, but, but there was, you know, we had to do an emergency C-section and there was issues with the, uh, she was tethered. She wasn't descending because her umbilical cord was too short, which I think is not uncommon in these sorts of implantations. Things grow a little bit differently sometimes. Um, but we have a healthy, wonderful daughter. And so we were kind of waiting for the time to implant this second, uh, male embryo. And we waited a couple of years and during the interim in between when Trevor and I wanted to talk about this to you guys and to, um, you know, in the actual interview that we're having right now, we transferred and it failed. Mm-hmm. And so we, we were really devastated the first day. We were kind of like just confused because it worked the first time. We were really spoiled by that. And we didn't realize like there wasn't as much fear the first time. There was fear because it was invasive, but there wasn't a lot of fear because it like, we're just like, I guess it'll work. Uh, we don't know. We don't know the chances. We're just going to do it and hopefully it works. And it did. And then we had the same doctor, same medical protocol, everything, and it didn't work. 
And so now we, we're just kind of scratching our heads like, oh, we were kind of pretty sure this was going to work. I kind of was moving along in my life thinking this is going to work. I mean, why wouldn't it work? It worked the first time. It's got to work again. And so, you know, Brooke would say things like, well, I'm sure I'll be pregnant then. So we can't do X or Y or I'll go and then you'll meet me in this place or we'll go visit my parents. But I'm going to have Aylin and I'm going to be pregnant. You know, so we're trying to do all that math and and planning. And now we're like, well, that's not happening anymore. So now we have to kind of completely recalibrate our lives. And I think it just shows that during these types of situations that you have to be like really elastic and it's not so easy when the stakes are so high, you know, and I think that, you know, I don't mean to, your suffering did not give me solace, but it made me feel comforted that there are other people who are dealing with this situation. And there's a lot more people that are dealing with this situation than we realize. And we'll get into that, I think, a little bit later, maybe talk to talk about loosely. I mean, we're not experts, maybe some of the reasons as to why we're seeing these declines in, in, in fertility. But I just wanted to share my story with you guys because you were generous enough to share your story with the world. And, uh, and that's been our story. And so it's been a struggle. It was hard. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot of like the machismo part of me was very self involved and very sort of like, there's nothing. And now I don't care because I have a daughter and you realize nothing's really important. You have that child who cares if your sperm doesn't work or is weird. It's like, I'm still a dad. It happened. It worked. We're good. And so it's given me that perspective, which is excellent. And also your podcast has given an incredible amount of perspective of like, count your blessings. You have a daughter. There are people who do this tens of times and have no luck and it breaks relationships apart and it breaks hearts and people need to move through their lives with that yearning to want to be parents. And, and I wanted to maybe just kind of start and hear from you guys. And you mentioned this in your podcast, but I think it's good for people to just to, to understand like you each have different sort of motivations of as to why you wanted to have children, but what did it mean to each of you individually? Like what's it mean to you to be a parent and why was it such an important part of, of who you are and in your relationship individually and collectively as as a, as a, as a a moving unit. Ian, thank you so much for sharing your story. Like it's so huge to hear it from a man. We can talk more about that too, but, um, and you're, you're, you did nothing wrong in the fact that like so many men, the machismo part is like that they did something wrong. They, it's their fault. And just like so many women have to bear that burden. It, it's at the risk of sounding like Robin Williams and Goodwill hunting. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Anyway, back to parenthood, you know, and we do talk about this briefly in the podcast. It just never occurred to me that I wouldn't be a parent. I come from a large and boisterous and funny dynamic in a family. My parents are divorced, which to some people causes a lot of alarm. For me, it was great. It meant more family. I have step parents and cousins, and I was an only child. I have half siblings, but I was an only child. So I was really close with cousins who all had brothers and sisters. And it was just, that was our life. That was just what it was going to be. And, and it's part of why I fell in love with Isaac because he had the same, a very similar dynamic within his family. They spent holidays together and it just, there was never, it never occurred to us. We didn't have that much of a conversation even about, well, do you want kids? I just want to make sure it was just a given from the get go. I, I knew I wanted to get Abby pregnant the moment I met her. So <laughs> good for you. Yeah, no, yeah, I, boy. I, I'm, 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 I'm joking. <laughs> What do you mean? Well, but, you know, <laughs> uh, I just was attracted to her. That's what I meant. So, yeah. But, um, but yes, parenthood. And 
when Abby and I got serious, it was pretty clear that like, if we were going to get serious and think we both were interested in being, in being parents and family. I mean, I will say like we met later, it was not becoming a parent was not my first priority. I mean, we're here in Los Angeles. We work in film and television. Like, you know, that that can become yeah. very, very, very high priority and many things fall by the wayside, including family planning. And I think that is partially one of the reasons why, we headed down our path. I mean, we didn't start trying for a family until we were well into our mid thirties. So. And because you make plans, like you said, letting go and releasing plans in any way is sometimes the hardest part of this whole thing. You plan when you want, right. You're like, well, let's, let's be married for two years and then we'll start trying. I really want to go to Italy and make sure we do that trip. Let's not try until, you know, until we make a feature. Yeah. And so you, you try, you try to do all the things you want to do and then, okay, now it's time to have children. And then you have to completely reorganize when it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yes. And that kind of leads me to my next point. Like, when did you guys go? Cause you, you kind of met in your mid thirties and we're trying to have children. Like, when did you go? Like, we're having an issue here. What, what was like, was it a year, six months? Was it like you guys went immediately because you wanted to make sure everything was okay? Like, when did you decide, like, this is not working? Yeah, my I remember going to my gynecologist and, and getting prepared to start trying. And she was like, you know, let's run all, you know, we ran all the initial tests and everything came back fine. And then I was like, okay, well, we're not really ready. So let's wait six more months. And then we started trying by ourselves and it, took, it was going month after month of we nothing. We tried together, but yeah. <laughs> we didn't try by ourselves. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. You always want to include another person when trying to have the baby or if you can. I mean, not everyone needs another person. That's right. I shouldn't say that. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. And and then, you know, it was clear we needed help. And we were like, well, we're not that, you know, every step when it was like, we're not going to need medical help. So what do we need to go to the doctor for? This month was a fluke. Let's just try again. Let's just try again. And you start to, the numbers start to creep up and all of a sudden it's my 35th birthday. And I'm like, well, I guess we should go to the doctor. And even on our first doctor's appointment, we met with him and he was like, okay, well, if you're meant to get your period in four days, then we would start theoretically in four days. And I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. we don't really need this. We're just coming here. We were very, you know, of like, and I will say like in the machismo factor of it all as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean? Like, let's keep, let's keep trying this, uh, for lack of, let's, let's do it naturally. There's no issue. Let's just, let's, we will get, it's, this is a numbers game. You know what I mean? So, and it's true. I mean, not to fast forward, but we had unexplained infertility. There was no reason. So, which is, which is almost, I think harder, at least if you know, like with us, we knew, like I had an issue with you guys. It's like, everything was fine. I had a, I have a very close friend who had the same thing. They have two wonderful children from IVF as well, but that's that's so difficult. I mean, so hard. really, really hard because then there, you, you can't explain it just like they couldn't explain well, why is my morphology right. off? Like, we don't know. Right. It just is. It could be environmental. It could be genetic. You could have got hit with, you know, right. with, with totally. a baseball when you were a kid. Like, who knows? They don't <laughs> right. know, you know. Right. So and especially when, you know, it, it does get so expensive and you make choices to do this instead of other things that you want to do. Like, I don't know, like buy a house or even take a trip, yeah. whatever it might be like this becomes the number one thing and it's unexplained. So you don't really know or what we're chasing after here or uh, how long you'll be chasing or how long it. we'll be doing it for. It got really mind gamey. It, it affected us not only emotionally uh, and uh, extreme like, and physically, but also psychologically for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, we also used to say to people, 
when they would ask us, do you want kids? And we'd say, yes, we do, but we love our life and we love each other so much. If it doesn't happen, we'll be fine. Until you're faced with it not happening and you realize you're not fine. And, you know, you have two very persistent and impatient people chasing something where persistence and patience don't help you in any scenario, in, in any version of it, you know? Yeah, I mean, you're you're powerless, really. The only thing you can control is making the decision of attempting to do it. And then once you do it, you just got to hope that nature does its thing. Was it always important to you and Brooke? Like, did you guys know that you wanted to be parents or was it? My my wife was born to be a mother. I mean, there she's an incredible mother, an incredible person. And I knew I was always like the young, like, I don't need kids. I'm having fun. It was all about me. And then I met this person that was incredible and wanted to have children. And I was like, yeah, sure. I want to have children because I really like, you know, I really like you, but I never envisioned myself being a dad. I thought maybe that could happen. And then once we started talking about it, I got really excited about the idea of starting a family and it became really important to me. And it, and it still is obviously um, being a parent has been the most, you know, transformative process of my life. It's, it's changed so much about me and, and everything you know, in our relationship, it's just, it's an amazing experience. It's difficult, but it's an amazing experience. Um, so I wasn't someone that was like dying to have kids. I mean, I know guy friends of mine, they're like, I want to be a dad. Like I wasn't that guy. I was like, we'll see what happens. I'm kind of like, okay, if I am or not. And then when I met Brooke, I was like, well, well, you know, she wants kids. So now we're going to have some kids, you know? Um, but you, you know, you mentioned something really interesting, and I'll talk a little bit about things that I've heard, like whispers I've heard in my own family. But Immaculate Conception, you, uh, Abby, I think you mentioned that our generation, and we're we're about we're roughly the same age, has been maybe the first generation to have to take this thing on headlong, and it's very sort of predominant in the reproductive medical field. I mean, there's a giant field because it is a problem, and. You know, I've heard whispers. Infertility has always been an issue. Even historically, you've heard of kings and queens who couldn't produce children. So there's something, you know, that has that happens with with a certain percentage of the population. But it does seem like at least half of the people that I know have had had to see a fertility specialist or do some kind of intervention. And I like what like what percentage of the people that you know. And obviously, you probably know more now because you were dealing with the situation. So you kind of found these communities. But like what percentage of people do you think in your circle of friends or people, you know, have, have had to have this have this sort of IVF protocol and intervention? So while you think about it, I mean, just to yes and you about the history of it. I mean, this issue and I found a lot of meaning in it is it was straight up biblical. I mean, all of Genesis is about infertility and couples struggling. Mm-hmm. with it, And I just thought that was really something for me while it became like this existential religious thing for me to identify with. And um, that's my tangent for a moment. And now we will answer your question, but. Well, yeah. and I could go on and on on this forever. So you stop me and reel it in because there's so many answers to this question. More than half of our. Oh yeah. To answer that, piece, oh, I would say 80 to 90% of the people that we know, people who we are, who know are close to. So family and friends who want or wanted to have children who went through some form of either loss, or like a miscarriage or medical intervention, 80 to 90% unquestionable for sure. I mean, it's, it's such a wild thing to think about because, you know, my, 
I heard that like there was infertility in, in some of the people in my family early, you know, in, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And then back then it was just Clomid. They would give you, you know, these kind of rough chemical intervention and you just create a ton of eggs and they kind of just pray that they would get, you know, f- uh, fertilized and it would work. And so it has been an issue and it's growing as an issue. And I just think it's so interesting that um, we're not talking about it more and, I don't want to say normalizing because it is such a sensitive topic to say, let's normalize this. But I think that we're, it's not at the forefront of, you see articles every now and again, you know, I can't quote, I don't I don't have the numbers, but like that the quality of sperm and eggs is declining at an exponential rate. And that is an, ex, that's an existential threat. That's an existential threat to us, our, our species. And we're just kind of laissez faire about it. Like, Oh, we'll just, we'll do, we'll do science. will fix yeah. it. And it's like, what if science can't okay. fix it? Because science doesn't always work in these instances. So yeah. I, I just wonder, what do you guys think is causing it? I mean, I think personally, I think it's environmental. Um, the water we drink, the food we eat, the stress we're under, it's a different type of central nervous system level of stress that humans really haven't experienced. And I think that our bodies are not evolving quickly enough to adapt to that. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. I'm not a specialist. I'm, no, I'm just sort of speculating. Of but That is a huge part of it. I mean, I read studies on this all the time. And it's toxins of all kinds. So it's environmental toxins, emotional toxins, and the things we're putting in and on our bodies. Lotions, creams, shampoos, all that stuff. All those things where, like, you would start to hear rumblings. I would hear, like, oh, this thing, be careful. That chemical in there is a... Um, a hormone disruptor or an endocrine disruptor. And it's like, you can only pay attention to that for so long. Like I want to use this shampoo. And then you realize Mm -hmm. I spent 20 years using a 399 shampoo over the counter because I loved the synthetic fragrance that was in it. And God knows what it did. Who knows what that did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge part. And I will say to that end, I don't know if it's because it's more assumed that it's the woman when there's infertility or it's more, um, it has been more studied up until now. But as recently as this month, there was a study that came out that now says up to 40 to 50% of infertility issues are male factor. It used to be a third male, a third female, a third unexplained. So the number to go up to 40 to 50% of infertility cases being male factor is significant. It's massive. It's significant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a uh, casualty of that yeah. too. And I don't even know why, I, if I knew why, if there was one thing they could pinpoint, I'd stop doing it. I don't know what it right. is, you know? So I want to say, I think that, yes, all these chemicals in the environment are certainly, are certainly a factor. And like Abby got me super into it. We have this app where we check cleanliness of products and it's not exclusive, but it's like, it's the environmental, environmental working group. Yeah. Yeah. My, my wife is a huge like beauty, you know, clean beauty advocate. So I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but even more than that, I really think it's cultural and it's cultural here in terms of like marriage and children and fan and making them are not our first priority culturally, you know, we go to college, we go to graduate school. Some, if we're lucky, I mean, if we're lucky enough to do that, we start work. It's becoming more and more expensive to have children. It because mm-hmm. it's just something that very few of us are really honestly equipped to become parents the way we want to at the time biologically we're ready for it, let alone like the teenage shit, you know? So, yeah, so yeah. I don't even want to, they're not even getting there, but like we probably need, like, even as, as technology continues to improve, you know, there's even advocating for longer time in, that we are in school and high school and college and graduate school and 
it doesn't really allow for family planning to to start, like just as a society. And um, if you merge those two ideas together, you know, to get the deeper chemicals plus the time, culture. the time you're exposed to the chemicals, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're 25 and you've been using bad chemicals for five years versus 15 years when you're 35, that's one thing. But also, our gen- when I speak to it in terms of our generation, you know, our generation's parents had the highest divorce rate in history. And for the first time, our generation, the divorce number is decreasing. The rate of divorce Mm -hmm. is decreasing because I think we grew up seeing relationships crumble all around us. We wanted to wait longer and make sure we had like fulfillment and happiness on our own before finding our person, which we should do. But it's like every single one of these you have to weigh, well, do I want to use the shampoo that I love or do I want to have kids? Do I want to marry the person I love or do I want to have kids? Do I want a career and happiness inside or do I want, I mean, you have to decide which is your thing. And, and I think that's why it's like all of a sudden they're all converging into these toxic situations. Yeah. It's toxic. You know, your formative years, you're using products and being exposed to things that can harm your reproductive organs. And then you're just doing that throughout when you're sort of peak reproductive years are. And then by the time you're ready, everything's been damaged or things aren't working correctly. And then everyone's left scrambling to to have this medical intervention. So that makes sense to me. I mean, obviously who knows the, I I think, you know, that, that uh, theory makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you even Ian, like I'll speak for myself. I'd love to know from you. Like, did you wish that you became a dad as, as a younger person? Is that something, do you regret that? Now, like I can tell you, I'll just share. I don't think that I was ready. I think that I would have, you know, resented in some ways, some of the things I might've had to give up or not pursue because I became a dad a little bit younger. I don't, I don't want to have to make that choice. I'm thankful that I don't, but like, there's a part of me that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily, I I don't think I would have been a good father when I was younger. I think I was meant to be a father when I was meant to be a father. And that's the way I look at it because the amount of emotional maturity that you need to be an active and and caring and good parent is incredibly high. Mm -hmm. And you have to live, for me, I had to live a lot of life to, or not a lot of life, but a good amount of it to kind of get to a place where I was ready to kind of put anything that I needed aside to give space for this other, you know, your life becomes about something else. Like it's still your life and you want to do well for yourself. And the better you can keep yourself rounded, the better you're going to be for your spouse and your child. But ultimately like, whatever my child needs, I'm, that's what I need to do. And so it's about sort of this, um, supplanting these egoistic needs and just saying, I am here to, as as I am their humble servant. I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to be strict and I'm going to tell you not to do things, but ultimately like, I'm here for you. I'm here to help you figure out how to do this thing called life. And so if I would have done that when I was 26, you know, my daughter right now would be, you know, a teenager. I don't know how her relationship would be. Let me just put it that way. Uh, I think it would probably be pretty strange just because I, I had a lot of growing up to do and I did most of it sort of in my mid thirties. And so for me, uh, you know, I never thought that I wanted to be a dad in, in my mid twenties for, for sure. And if I did, you know, have a, have a child, I don't know how effective of a father I would have, I would have been, I probably would have been okay. I mean, I would have risen to the occasion as many people do when they're not ready to have children and it happens. But for me, it was, you know, it was like, okay, I'm ready to do it now. And then we tried and then it wasn't working. And then it became this sort of a little bit of a disappointing um, process, but then obviously it ended up with, you know, the best outcome, which was our daughter. So. And to that end, I just want to add that like, 
because I feel the same. Like when I think you probably feel when you look at her, you can't imagine anyone else having come to you sooner, right? Like she was meant to be yeah. your child. Our kids were meant to be our kids and we freaking love them. But we can say that the three of us, because we ended up on the other side of it. And I think exactly if we, exactly, had, yeah. if we were still yearning and longing and hurting, we still would have wished that we had started when we were 30 instead of 37 True. or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd, you'd have that regret, but hindsight's twenty twenty. Like it right. worked out and it was the most difficult process that anyone could ever have, but you have those children and no one can, that's it. That's you it. got it. Yeah. And same for us too. I mean, another child would be wonderful. It'd be a blessing for our family, but we have one child. And so, we want that other child. We're going to, we're going to figure it out hopefully, but ultimately like it's just, it's, it's a, it's a giant cherry on top, right? It's, it would be a wonderful blessing, but we have to understand that we got the thing that most people strive to get and we got it right off the bat. And yeah, it was, it was tough. There was a struggle. It was invasive and embarrassing and difficult, Yeah, but we did it and it was worth. And I, I would never, I would never take any of it away. I'm better for the experience. Cause it humbles you, you know, it makes you being a parent humbles you. And then the experience of IVF humbles you. Yeah. Like, oh, so I was going to ask you if you feel like you're at the beginning of a new journey right now or chapter with it, or is there a like, where are you at? You mean as far as like fertility and what we, what we plan on doing yeah. or, or like metaphysically? I, I, or I, I mean, I meant your, your path to more to additional parenthood. Well, yeah, well, you know, right now, and we'll, I actually, this is a great segue, Isaac. Um, you're you're uh, you're, yeah. you're reading my mind, but <laughs> you know, the mon- the monetary aspect of it that you guys get into in Immaculate Conception is is like is insane. I mean, it's very expensive, and we were fortunate enough that our health insurance covered the um the you know at my old employer covered this. They had a they had a system in place and covered the majority of it, so we were able to get those two embryos. We had to pay this time for medication, uh, priming, you know, getting Brooke sort of primed to, for the, for the, for the uh, implantation. What was for that? The transfer this round you mean? Yeah. For the transfer we paid for that. And it was, it was a lot of money just for that. And so now we'd have to go do the harvesting, all the medication calendaring, and then implantation again, which is 20 grand, 25 grand, 30 grand. I don't know how much it is. And I think just right now, looking at that as a prospect, it's, it's just, it's very intimidating for us. And so our goal is to be able to be in a financial situation that's strong enough to where we could go, all right, we're comfortable. We have what we need to do this. Let's try to do it again. But we know that it might take a little while and we're getting older and we know that the chances decrease with age, but we feel like it's worth us trying and going through maybe a cycle or two more and seeing what we can accomplish. And if not, we have to be okay with that. And and we knew that we tried, we did everything we could, you know, and the other part of it is at what point does it become sort of risky for my wife or risky for a, an extremely high risk pregnancy? We don't want to, you know, I mean, my wife wasn't even old and they were calling it a geriatric yeah. pregnancy. I mean, she was in her thirties. Yeah. It's like, she's not, old. she's not geriatric. I mean, what are you talking about? So once you hit your forties, it's like there, there are complications that can occur uh, and the chances decrease of successful implantation and, and in vitro fertilization and all that. So we understand the headwinds associated with that, but also like, we're still going to try natural, you know, not, I don't want to say naturally, but try the oh, standard way. I'm sorry for making you a thing. That's no, no, it's, yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with calling the natural part natural. It's when people call IVF unnatural that's, that it becomes more of a thing. I agree. With yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other yeah. area that I don't think we want to, um, 
we want to get into too much, but um, I wanted to talk to you guys. And, and, and this was something that was so prevalent and it was so brave of you both to do this on the podcast. And I encourage everyone to listen to Immaculate Conception. If you're curious about IVF or you're going through this journey, you have to listen to this podcast. You must. How did you guys deal with the anger and the frustration and the jealousy of seeing other people like either on their IVF journey, having success or just people like I got pregnant for the fifth time, you know, like you, Abby, you talk a lot about this in the podcast, but if you could just kind of encapsulate like what your, I know that you yelled at, you, you yelled at Isaac a lot, which was, which was fine. And, and he played, he did a great job great absorbing job. a lot of it. And at times he was being insensitive. Sorry, Thank Isaac, you. you were, Thank you. but, but at, at times I could just tell Abby that you just needed a place to put it. And you know, that as Isaac could handle it and understood where you were at, even if you just needed to vent. And so other than, you know, your spouse, like what would you, where did you look for, for that support? And how did you deal with that anger and that frustration? Because for a female, it's a whole other thing. It's a biological calling for many women. And so to not be able to do that is like denying this natural urge to be a mother. Um, so I just wanted to kind of yeah. see if you could sort of give us a rundown of like what that process was like and what you came to towards the end. It seemed like you were kind of okay with anything towards the end, but if you can just kind of talk about that, that would be great. Thank you. Yes to all of what you said. I will say now, even just in the two and a half years since we've had children, the social media community is can be very supportive in a way it was not when I was going through it. Because part of why we did our podcast is we were not, no one talks about this. And even if they talk about it, it's on such like a macro level and we needed the micro details. Like people would listen to our podcast and be like, reach out to us to say thank you because that is exactly how I scream at my husband. And no offense, gentlemen, but like now I feel justified because I know I'm not alone. And the yeah. truth is you just want to rage and scream and that you're that's what you're there to do. That's why infertility can break so many relationships. But if you can get through it, it will ultimately get, get you to a stronger point. And it became especially hard when the people who are closest to us, who only wanted the best for us, like no matter what they said, it was wrong. No matter how much they tried to support us, it wasn't enough. And that was just us dealing with our own grief and pain and needing to talk about it, which to be honest is why we just, the recorder became in some ways our therapist because we were able to just get our story out. And I will just say, and this is not in any way a plug, but at the same time, it's because of this journey, I did start um, a fertility coaching company where we literally, I have a business partner, and this is what we do is we help women, not only end couples, not only get through this horrible period and help them navigate, but help them create boundaries with their family and tell their family exactly what they need and not feel any shame or fear around asking for that support. Because what else are you supposed to do? If you were dealing any other illness or disease you were dealing with, you would comfortably talk to people and tell them what you need and find support groups and maybe hire a coach and whatever it is. But for some reason, this one that's not allowed, like it needs to be. So it has in that way really transformed my literal everyday life. How did you process your rage? (laughs) I, I mean, I definitely had like some, some karmic issues about it. Like I, I think I would work really hard to be really happy for other people's good news, which I genuinely felt. And I would feel bad or wrong or it was bad for our juju if I expressed uh, envy, 
jealousy, fear, you know, those things. And so like, and Abby would get upset with me. She would think I would, you know, be like very rose colored about it or be disingenuine about how I was really feeling. Cause they would be like, Oh, I'm so happy for them. And like, I genuinely was happy for friends, family, people who would have good news, but it, it is, it is tricky. And, um, Holding the holding joy and grief is something at the same time is something we talk about a lot and it's really hard, but it's really natural. Like life is made up of holding yeah. joy and grief. And those two things can exist at the same time. They do. They and do every hard. day. They do every they day. They do every day, they but it's really me, hard. You know? And I, I never, you know, people we were genuinely happy for becoming pregnant. We genuinely were, but I was still sad for me. And I would get so frustrated when Isaac couldn't acknowledge that it could also be sad for us at the same time. But that's just not who he is. He just needed to yeah. focus on the, the positive piece. And I was like, I will bring yeah. you down. I will bring you down. <laughs> that was a really hard dynamic, dynamic yeah. of our of our marriage, for sure. I, I couldn't handle the, you know, the pessimism and the negativity that would naturally come out of the experience that Abby and I were going through. And I would argue it wasn't pessimism and negativity. It was just not positivity. It wasn't, Excuse me. I was not able to be optimistic and many times not able to be hopeful. And he was, and that would be really frustrating for me because I just wanted somebody to be in the ships of it with me, you know? Yeah. And, And it's, it's, you know, it's hard to hold space for people that process things differently when all you want is that, confirmation that the way that you're processing it is correct. And if the other person isn't on the same page, it can be kind of add more to the discomfort of the whole thing, but you have to just understand that you're different people and you process things differently. And that's just the way things go. And that's very hard when you're under such an intensely frustrating, painful, scary process. It doesn't, in a way it's like this, the prospect of, I mean, not to, not to over, sort of blow it, but it's like the prospect of death all the time. It's like, this might not Ooh. work. And that's a, that's a death for us because that it's, is the grief. It's, it's, that's right. Yeah. And you know, some yeah. people, some people, I'm, I'm so entrenched in this community now. I mean, some people would call a failed transfer a loss in the sense of a miscarriage. And I'm not saying we never did. That wasn't how we processed it, but a lot of people do and they need to mourn and grieve it like a funeral and a, Shiva and all those things that we are trained to do to get through horrible grief. You know, the other thing that I want to bring up about it that was especially hard for me was we're not rich people. We, I will say like, I'm, this was all happening on early levels of success in, in my career, in our careers, in this business, and like finally making some money, making film and television. And it's all going in this way and we're spending all this money. And yet we both feel awful, you know, like, because yeah. we're, we're spending all, like, usually when you're spending $30,000 on something, hopefully you feel a little bit good about it. You know, I mean, hopefully it's, yeah. it's like, and for us to be spending all this kind of dough that we finally have on this thing and it's not working and it's failing and it's causing more pain and grief and she's a wreck and I'm trying to be positive because we're still doing this. And it was, it was fucking awful. I mean, yeah. It's, and, yeah. and so I, I, Still, I'm, my heart is heavy with everyone who's still dealing with this on a day-to-day basis. And I see you. I think of you. I know it's not over. I mean, yeah. It's- yeah. What did you guys ever think? Like, you don't mention it too much. You guys were just so 
myopic about it. You really were going to exhaust every option. But did you ever think like, we're, we're just going to throw in the towel? I just can't. You you talked a little bit about we have to get okay with the idea of maybe not having children, but it never seemed like you had quit in you. Did you ever have, were those conversations not recorded? Did you ever think like, is it even worth us doing this anymore? Like, this is just killing us. Can we survive this? Like, should we just stop? Should we stop down and just reevaluate? Did you have those conversations? You know, it's, I will say we, when, when it finally did work, our IVF work, we were so enervated and done with the process. We couldn't handle even recording some of our experiences for the last one, which as a storyteller, I regret tremendously, but yeah. truthfully, like, mm-hmm. we just, we didn't have it in us to like we fail were just on like, How many points of anymore. grief can our audience listen like, to? <laughs> like, how it was, many times I mean, can we yeah. just say how awful this is? Which was the original reason we did it was to talk about that. And then we were just like, we're the worst right now. Yeah. Like we don't want, we don't need to be depressed on air this every going night. Nowhere. Yeah. I've seen enough movies that go nowhere. You know? And so we didn't record a and, lot of that piece of the puzzle that you're asking about because it was so dark. And we truly, but we were at a place where, I mean, it wasn't even trying to be like a drama story. Like this was our, when we got pregnant, when Abby got pregnant with this last round, like that was it. That was our last, our doctor had said at that point that we were, really chasing the words she used were if you want to do this round i'll do it but you're crazy to expect different results our doctor who by the way has a surrogate and had her own ivf like she was like had to deal with it on her own yeah Yeah. so so that was real and that's really where we were at and yeah so you were you were fully at the end end of the experience yeah yeah we there was nothing more we could do i was still hopeful that we could return to trying you know uh, naturally, um, but that was not like we were definitely at our last on our last rope with it. Yeah, is everyone's situation is so unique. But is there anything encouraging that you'd want to say to someone who's going through this type of process, or something that you wish someone had said to you during the process, or someone who's about to go down this path? Like, what would you say to them? What advice would you give? What counsel would you give? And I know, Abby, you're doing this a lot of the time, so I'm sure you have some good insight. This is not something I would say really openly to any of my clients because it wouldn't be professional. But um, I always felt like if I wake up one day and I'm 60 and I'm $100,000 in debt still, I can live with that. But if I wake up one day and I'm 60 and I didn't do every single thing that I could have done to have a child and there's no shot of that anymore... I would not be able to live with myself. Now, believe it or not, that's a controversial thing to say in some infertility communities because there are women who have tried everything and still can't do it. And so I don't mean to say, come on, you can keep going. It might be the end of the rope for people. And and there is a beautiful community out there for people where that's the, the case. It's generally called the childless, not by choice community. And there are incredible people within that community. But I just want to know that I tried. And like, sometimes I see people say, I'm just not up for IVF. There's just no way that I can do it. And if you know that about yourself, great, go with it. For me, it was like the money was never going to be the thing that made me not have the family that I wanted. Money, you can always find money. You can always make money. I'm not saying it's easy. We are still paying off a lot of debt from infertility. Still, yeah. There's a bill that I just mm-hmm. got. It's the, My kids are two and a half. There's a bill that I just got that we just finished paying in 
40 months worth of installments from when we just got pregnant to have to do like high level genetic testing. Four years yeah, old. The, the PGA or the, what is it called? PGA? This, the was, PSA even, this or... was once we were already pregnant. We had to do like, it's a long story, but you know, yeah, I had to have a, a reduction. bunch of crazy tests. Yeah. You had to have a reduction, which was very, very tough. Yeah. Yes. It was a part of the reduction testing that we had to do it was like over $7,000. We were out of money. Paid. We were out. Of, we were like long out of money. And I'm not advocating that you like that you live your life in that way. But for me, I couldn't live my live with myself to know that money was the reason I didn't keep going. If there had been another reason, maybe. And so I'm not saying that that's my best advice, but I trusted my gut and knew for me, I had to keep going. And so I'm thankful every day that I did. And what I would just say also is like you and your partner have to keep talking because circumstances change feelings change i you know uh, i think it's really important to at every juncture keep checking in with each other to make sure you stay on the same page because i do think like it leads to splitting up it leads to difference of opinions it leads to divorce it leads to all of it and the only way to to work as hard as you can to avoid that is by you can't go into something kind of half-assed or silently or reluctantly. That's when we would argue about something too. Abby was two feet in, you know, diving forward. And I might've been a little bit hesitant or needed a little bit more time to talk or process or think about it, et cetera. And, and we just needed to keep talking as things were changing and developing and making sure we were still trying to make the same movie, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about now that you are parents and, we were both parents. I wanted to talk about the concept of like guilt associated. Like you talk in the podcast about sort of this survivor's guilt. You survived this process. Abby, you barely survives this, this process. <laughs> and you listen to the podcast to see, but she barely survives this, pro this, this process. And there's guilt in the sense of, and you talked a little bit about this, like these communities of, of childless people, not by choice. So there's this almost survivor's guilt of, we got the, we got the kids, we did the thing. And, you know, there's also guilt in like some days my daughter is really, really difficult to take care of. And one of the things that your podcast did for me was re reignite sort of my perspective of like, hey, you are so lucky to just have this little girl screaming at you that she doesn't yeah. like her socks, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> sure. Oh, we're um, in that too. Yeah. Yeah. It just, wow. as they hit three, uh, it gets worse just, you know, but anyway, <laughs> again, like, or it's not really complaining. It's just kind of funny that Everyone you know, goes through these stages, but yeah, yeah. You're allowed to so I guess, I, I guess like, how do you manage that? Because there are times that I kind of get, I think probably a little too in the weeds and down on like, Oh, she's being really hard. This is being a parent's really hard. But then like I listen to your podcast, I'm like, there are people that go through this shit all the time. And here I am complaining because she's just going from tantrum to tantrum. It's like, this is what being a parent is. You wanted this, you signed up for it kind of buck up. But it's also like everyone that has children has some frustration with it. Like, how do you balance that? I think that because then you guys really went through it, too. So like, how do you balance that has been the hidden blessing of our struggle is that I so rarely resent them, you know, uh, or the thing you, she's 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 crutching. But like, <laughs> I, I just like in my mind, I just I feel like I appreciate them more. I don't resent them when I have to choose like doing something parental versus something work related. I thought that would be a bigger struggle for me than it's been. I think especially like the best part about the, this, the pandemic of the last year is like 
while normally this wouldn't have happened, I've gotten to like bathe our kids almost every night, put them in bed almost every night. That just wouldn't have happened in a normal year. And so that was a great appreciation. And so I think that's been the blessing for me is I, I don't, and I, I do like on social media when I see people like complaining about like David savings time and their kids waking up too early, I'd be like, shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? You've got beautiful <laughs> children, you know? So that was the part I've appreciated it more. And Abby is about to dispel that. But No, no, I totally, believe me, my journey, like I am not a patient. I have no patience. And I think being, going through our journey has given me so much more patience than I probably would have had in any other scenario. That being said, there's days I want to, I'm just like, what did I sign up for? But I think every parent goes through that. It doesn't mean you can't complain. I probably complain way less publicly than I would had I not gone through this. And by the way, I'm on the other side of my rainbow and I still am triggered by pregnancy announcements and wondering when, like the minute you said you have a three-year-old and that was it, I'm like, hmm, that's weird. I wonder if they ever wanted another one. I wonder if they're having issues. I want to... It doesn't turn off in my head. Yes, I'm a fertility coach, so this is always on. But still, I'm just like, we all default to the norms of what society thinks families should look like. And that's where the guilt and the shame sort of come in. My childless, not by choice friends have to answer these questions on a daily basis. Oh, I would love to save that parking spot for you, but it's reserved for somebody with kids. I would scream like, well, fuck you. I'm trying to have kids. But, you know, those are the things where I'm like, I'm so careful about every word because of guilt in that way, where I would never want to trigger another woman or couple because I don't know what anybody's going through. We just don't know. I never, ever, ever complain about being a parent or, you know, my kids to other people or colleagues who may not have kids. Like, I just think that's just not something I can do at this. Like, even if you think they never wanted kids, you don't say a word. You don't know. No, you don't know. know. Just don't know. I was having, I was having a conversation with someone who's, um, who I'm like doing, you know, just talking to, to kind of get some advice and I had no idea that that this individual had I explained to them what I was going through with this fertility, the failure of the transfer, and they were like, "Oh yeah, I, I had to I had to deal with that five times." I was like, "What?" I mean, yeah. I had no idea, and I could see that like I could see that it it was you know it was a sad it was it saddened him to know that I went through that, and then he had to uh, go through this experience again the kind of and and so you just don't know, and you want to talk about it with people when everyone's experience is different. Um, but I think trying to have these types of conversations is so important and that we're very sensitive and that we handle it very delicately. Um, and like, I, I don't say to people anymore, like when you have kids, I say, right. if you decide that if you decide, or if you're blessed with children, yeah, totally. X, Y, or Z, yeah. and even that it, it could be like, even that could be like triggering to someone like, yeah, if, if, yeah, we're trying, you know, so it's almost like even asking people, do you have children? Unless they ask me then I know, okay, well, maybe, maybe I can ask them, but it's like one of those things of, (laughs) I hate to use this term. It's like, don't ask, don't tell. It's kind of like, you don't, especially when you've been through the ringer, I mean, you guys have have done it and and we've done it to an extent of like, we know what it's like. So it's, we're very sensitive to that, but people that just are able to pop kids out, they don't, for them, it's like, yeah, we just had five kids. It was really easy. The fact that you even think about it, it means you've been through it. Exactly. And I just want to yeah. also say, which I wanted to say at the beginning, 
There's no competition mm -hmm. on grief and pain. If you yeah. went through IVF once or you had a negative pregnancy test that you thought you were pregnant once, like you understand what it's like. We just happen to have gone through it a lot. It doesn't yeah. mean that your yeah. pain is no longer, is no more or less valid, you know, and that's yeah. for anyone that's gone through it. Absolutely. And so it's, it's almost like once you become part of the club, even if you have a successful outcome, you understand what the stakes are and how it feels and what the prospects of failure mean. And it just changes your entire perspective on, on everything. And I kind of wanted to, to, to talk a little bit uh, and we'll kind of close up on this. How has this, we touched a little bit on how has this changed your relationship and how has this fundamentally changed you as an individual, this, this experience, because I feel I'm better for the experience. There's still some, some battle scars, but battle, you know, scars look cool, you know, um, sure. <laughs> and, and they define, they define who you are and they make you stronger, you heal over and you, you, you move on and you have that experience and that knowledge. And so that's the way I approach it is that it was painful and it's traumatic to think about, but it made me a stronger person. Do you guys, look back on it and just kind of shudder at some of the things or do you, how do you feel about it and how has it changed you and your relationship? For better or worse, there is, I don't, I think there is nothing we can't get through. I think when you are at the lowest of lows and you get through it, which not everybody does, you're like, we could take on anything. So mm -hmm. I understand how it separates lots of people. But for us, I do think it made us closer. It doesn't make parenting any easier. Like we're still in the shits of it a lot. And then personally, obviously, it's changed my life significantly because I, I am 100% certain that I went through it all to be able to help other people on their journeys. Does that mean I wish I didn't go through it? Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, no, yeah. I would be lying if I came to you and I was like, no, it was all worth it because now my life's work is dedicated to this. I'm so grateful that I am, I am, I have such meaningful work and being able to help other people on this. It still sucked. You know, we say this in the podcast, becoming an expert in something you never expected to become an expert in is not always easy. So mm -hmm. it has made me a better person. It has made me a more empathetic person. And I was already pretty empathetic, but like even hearing your story, I was practically on the verge of tears because it brings me to that level of pain that we went through. And I don't think that that's ever going to go away. And like, I'm okay with that. And I would just, I, that was, that was beautiful. Uh, I would just say that it's definitely, I think as someone who is maybe not all into becoming a parent, uh, going through it and then meeting my kids and raising them, I, I appreciate it so much more. What a blessing it is. Cause I was totally preparing for our lives without parenthood. Um, so that I'm thankful for because there are times where I do feel like I was stressed always to become a parent when, what am I going to have to sacrifice career wise to take care of these two, et cetera. And like, I don't stress about that as much because I'm just so grateful that, that they're here and I get to be their dad. So it's been a little bit more personal for me in my improvement and, and always the increased empathy for, for others who are going through this is, is never, is never a bad thing. And just being mindful that, yeah, it's, it is in the 80, like it, it, it's, it's there for more people than we all think. Um, and I want to be sensitive to that. And I think that I'm, I'm glad that I'm very sensitive about people's paths to parenthood. That's great. Beautifully said. Well, guys, uh, I just wanted to say thank you again for joining. Your story is inspirational. People need to hear it. 
like I said, if you're on the journey or if you're someone who is just curious about what what an experience uh, within with IVF is like and fertility issues, immaculate conception is a wonderful, um, heartfelt document that that um, that people should listen to. So thank you guys for doing thank it, you so and thank much. you for being yeah, brave enough to do it. And beyond our pleasure to be here. Yeah, honored to talk with you. Yeah, yeah. thank you, and 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 good luck in sending you yeah. and your family love, love, love. Thank you guys so much. All right. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Abby and Isaac. Once again, their podcast is called Maculate Conception, and you can find it on audible.com. I highly recommend it. I appreciate so much their honesty and openness. It felt good to have people understand my feelings, to be heard, and to hear them. I think that's so important for us as individuals. Finding community, finding people that understand what you're going through, it's truly a healing experience. Life can be messy. And it's full of surprises. And no matter how hard you try to fit it into a neat little box, it has a way of bursting at the seams. I'm learning ever so slowly that I have to let it be what it is. The more you let go, the scarier it becomes. But within that fear lies the freedom of understanding. The fear can become joy if you just allow things to unfold. Allow your heart to be in the right place and just let go. Our lives are rentals. We give it all back. Be grateful for everything you have. There is solace in the unknown. We just have to find it. Thanks again for joining us. We will be back sooner rather than later. Be well. This just is.